Welcome everybody to Debt Talk Live, and today it is my honor to have our very special guest, writer, director, Camille Griffin, whose movie, Silent Night, is now available on AMC+. Camille, thank you so much for being our guest. How are you doing today? Hi, John. Thanks for having me. As you can tell, um, I'll try not to shout around the house while we're being... <laughs> That's totally fine. Uh, my kids are just home from school. Yeah, yeah, mine are about to come home in the next hour, so I have the household to myself, at least for the next hour. I've got three teenagers. So, first off, I want to say congratulations on Silent Night. Uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the film. Uh, congratulations. I know it was your first uh, feature film that you directed. You wrote it, you directed it, so I, I tip my hat to you because... When people read the synopsis of this movie, uh, you get the feel that it's going to be a light comedy thriller. Maybe I was thinking along the lines of like a clue whodunit type of movie, but you completely threw us for a loop and you gave us a twist that I did not see uh, coming. So we got to tiptoe around the no spoiler landmines here and not give anything away. But I got to ask you, when you were coming up with this concept, when you were writing it, what led you to bring in that big twist that no one saw coming? Um, thank you. Uh, which twist are we talking about? Are we talking about the re end reveal or are we talking about the actual story twist? The story twist, when Art is looking through his phone and we start to find out what's really happening. Um, well, I knew I wanted to... Well, listen, I can answer, I can take hours answering this question. I can talk, so I'll try and keep, I'll try and, I'll try not to go overboard on each question. If I rewind a bit, I uh, knew I wanted to make, make a film. I was going to try and make a film my own because I couldn't get a film funded in the UK. Maybe now you've seen the film, you might know why, but my films have never been this dark. Um, so I wrote a script thinking I'm going to make a film my own with some friends in a house, my kids, whatever I can, you know, muster up. And I knew that all my material was always kind of like challenging the privileged classes in the UK, the class system that I live in and I belong to, and the value system. And also, um, I also know I kind of, I was always leaning uh, and inspired by the Hanukkah type, uh, and inspired by the Hanukkah type uh, storytelling. And I'd come off the set of Jojo and Jojo Rabbit, mm -hmm. and I saw um, the fantastic Taika um you know, directing and making his film. And I was like, it suddenly hit me that I was like, wow, comedy. Oh my God, I didn't get that before. I didn't understand that with comedy, you can do anything, you know, you can. Uh... So that he really inspired me. And I came away from that thinking, maybe I could be funny. Maybe I could try and write a dark comedy. So blah, 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 cut to, uh, I start, start writing. And it just kind of came out to me. I think sometimes I've written a lot of scripts. Some are good, some are bad. But I think generally speaking, the better ones find themselves a bit more. Um, that's not to say that they don't take 10 rewrites or that they don't still take time and development, but generally speaking, to get the first draft out, I've noticed that if, if, it, if it works or it's working, it just tends to kind of come out. And I've, I've always been aware that you have like a, an unconscious that sometimes speaks for you, right? It's like when I lose my keys, I say to myself, if I'm falling asleep, tell me where my keys are when I wake up in the morning. And then I, I find my keys. Anyway, so... Um, 
I knew that something was going to happen. And the idea, so for me, it was always going to be about the twist. Mm -hmm. That was always going to be the story, but I didn't know how to get us into that. So I just started writing. I was like, oh my God, this feels a bit like a kind of working title movie. In the UK, we say working title, which is like the Love Actuallys, the Four Weddings, the the Emmas, you know, that's mm -hmm. the studio. I'm sure you know this who make. So we call, the, we call that genre the working title genre, but. Now, uh, you mentioned the end uh, plot twist just before it rolled to credits. Was that your idea or was it something that the studio wanted you to add in? No, I mean, this is very important because I wrote this pre any pandemic. We started filming before the pandemic. We finished the edit before the vaccine was introduced, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, the story was always about a boy who was prepared to suffer for humanity, you know, and who had the courage to say, well, what if? And, 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 uh, and to question things and to stand up for himself and to have a voice. And he believes in people, he believes in society. So that was always supposed to be the ending that I wanted. Had I known then what I know now, uh, I definitely would have chosen a different ending. Okay. But my producer, one of my producers actually didn't want uh, the ending to be as it is. And, and I was like, but then the government wouldn't have been wrong. Um, and that was important for me because for me, it's a, it's a socialist argument. It's an anti-government argument. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to go out there and bomb parliament. You know, I'm not Guy Fawkes, but at the end of the day, I mean, they only released a, a, a video yesterday that, you know, you see the conservative government laughing about the Christmas party while yeah. people are dying of COVID. So the film was always supposed to satire the conservatives and the upper classes and the privileged. Um, and if we hadn't had that last uh, moment in the film, without spoiling it, then I wouldn't have got that point across. But unfortunately, with what's happened in the last years, it can be misinterpreted. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, not for me on my end. I totally saw the what you were trying to get across, but Thank I could you. see how some people might misinterpret it. Now, Art, uh, the little boy Roman, he did. Uh, he is the star of the film, uh, in my opinion. I mean, uh, in, all in an all star cast, Kira Knightley, Matthew Good, that little boy. I mean, he nailed it. He brought it. He laid it all out there he was the star of the film so let's talk about the cast i said this was an all-star cast it is they were all fantastic i'm a huge kira knightley fan i mean huge kira knightley fan uh she it's was she was great what uh did you have total control of who you casted or was it a collaborative effort oh i'd say the whole film was a collaboration i mean i think you know, Matthew Vaughan's an extraordinary filmmaker. He's not just a producer, he's a writer, he's a filmmaker, he's, a, he's an artist, like he's lots of, he's a musician, you know, he, he has a lot of opinions about a lot of things. So I was never going to get to make the film I just wanted to make. But, but where Matthew is brilliant is that he goes, what do you want? And I go, well, in a, in a, in a magical world, I want Kira Knightley. And, and then two months later, he's like, oh, Kira Knightley's read the script. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding? I mean, I've been waiting 25 years to make a movie, trying for 25 years. And then he goes, who do you want to sing the Christmas song? I was like, well, you've got to, it's got to be Buble. He's Mr. Christmas. Two months later, oh, Buble. I mean, it's like, he's like a miracle worker. But he's also opinionated and strong. And and uh, and what he's, he is, is he's thorough. 
you know. So every time we approach people, he never, nothing, none of the casts were forced on me. These are all people we all wanted to work with. And we took our time, you know, the, the casting process took a year, really. Wow. Then you know, it was slowly like, we weren't in a hurry. Like he knew that we would make the film when everyone was ready. But he was like, no, that person won't do. You've got to, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going, keep going. He brought Matthew Good in at the very end. And who I, I mean, listen, my cast weren't, they weren't just clever and talented. They were kind, they were supportive, they were fun, they were engaging, but they gave a lot. They really gave. And they didn't have to, you know, they could have just turned up and gone, oh, she's a first time filmmaker. What is she doing? This is kind of crazy. But they didn't, they just committed. Um, so I was really blessed uh, in that in that experience. Um, and the film would have happened without them, you know, no. but yeah. If that answers that question, it was a collaboration, but he, um, but he's thorough. He's, he's, he's clever like that. Now, this is an interesting question. This is your first feature film, and yeah. here you are working with this, like, all-star lineup. Did you feel a little bit intimidated? You're the first person to ask me that. Um, no, I mean, yes, for about 20 minutes. I feel scared when I go and do a Q&A or I introduce a I'm scared before I stand on that stage. Once I'm on the stage, I'm fine. And it was a bit like that. Once I was on set... I was fine. I'd been a camera assistant for 13 years. I was it used to be a clapper loader when we still made films with. So as a clapper loader, you know, in the UK, they call it second AC, I think in America. I loaded all the films and I was always doing the board. I was always sitting at the actor's feet. So ever since I was, I don't know, 21, 22, I've been on set and I've, you know, and I've made short films and I've watched people make films and commercials and television and, and I saw great actors working. So I didn't, I wasn't, for me, they're just people, you know, they're people. Mm -hmm. so, I wasn't intimidated. I mean, I was nervous, but I also knew that I couldn't fuck about, right? I couldn't do a bad job because, and I also knew, sorry, I think I knew a lot, um, that I didn't have long to prove myself. I think when you're, a, when I, I notice this as a crew member, if your director walks on set and they don't know what they're doing, or they, or they don't take advantage of all the opportunities you have, the crew, they're done. And then you never win them back. Yeah. And I knew, and I knew that about the crew and I knew that about the cast. I thought, okay, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to show, prove myself very quickly. And I think I did. I'm not trying to give myself credit there, but I think I did. And I think they trusted me. And I think we were all lucky. We were a good team, you know? Yeah. Now let's talk about Art's character, Roman, that little boy. He is the star of the film surrounded by stars like Kira Knightley, Matthew Good, and so on. As the director, and you were working with him on the set, his role being so critical to the story, did you have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with him on how to explain how you wanted each scene done? Did you find that that little boy really caught on quickly? Explain the interactions between the two of you. I'm going to surprise you, okay, but I have to make a call to surprise you first because I don't think you know this. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't think you know this. Marcy! Can you get Roman? <laughs> He's my son. Did you not know that? Oh, no, I didn't. I did not know that. You didn't know that. All the boys are. Marcy, would you grab Roman a sec, please? Roman, unfortunately for Roman, he's my son, right? And uh, which is why I was on the set of Jojo. And he, uh, he wanted to start acting a few years ago. You know, he decided when he was nine, he wanted to act. And my husband's a cinematographer. And our friend put him up for a job, which he didn't get. But he was like, oh, I really want an act. And we were like, oh, dear, not a good idea. So I said to my husband, let's just hope he forgets about it. He kept asking, I want to act. 
So we helped him meet an agent and he auditioned, blah, blah, blah. Two years later, loads of auditions, he got Jojo. But he's good. I knew he was good. And I spent a lot of time doing all his tapes and auditions with him. So we built up this relationship as mother, son, or as filmmaker, actor, who knows. But he, um, he's brilliant. So I wrote this role for him because, like I said, I thought I was going to make it for no money. It wasn't until Matthew came on board. Uh, so we did have time together. But actually, weirdly enough, I usually help him prepare because I was so busy. I couldn't. Can you come and say hi to John? He was like, what about hi, having John? a boy? He's a, this is live, though. So I'm Roman, Roman, I want to say, Roman, you did a fantastic job as art. And I did not know that Camille was your mom until she just told me now. Yeah. So I only got the part because I'm a child. <laughs> Let me ask you, was it weird working with your mom as a director? Yes. Uh, yeah, but it was, uh, well, well, let me ask you this. When you were on the set and it's your mom behind the camera, you in front of the camera, did both of you, you know, sort of put aside the mother son relationship and turn into actor director type of relationship? Well, um, I've been doing auditions with my mom for years and it's been like, and she's been directing me in those auditions anyway. Well, so you did a fantastic job. You were the star of the film. Like I just have been telling your mom, the whole story revolves around art and him being the last real character who has some humanity left in him. And you pulled it off brilliantly. And I just want to say hats off to you. You did a great job. Thank you. Thanks. That was <laughs> awesome. Now, Camille... How was it for you as the mom uh, directing your son? Well, I, I was telling someone earlier that um, I, I kind of knew that, would he, actually, do you know what my biggest fear was like, was he going to listen to me? You know, would he listen? Um, because he doesn't always listen because I'm his mom. Of course, he's not supposed to listen to me. <laughs> uh, as soon as he saw the, the rest of the cast listening, he just, he just fit in. He was like, oh, they're, they're, they're important actors and they're listening. And they trust us. So, and he was amazing. And then I think one day on set, one of the first days, I turned around and I said to him, You don't know your lines very well. He went, I do. I went, and I suddenly realized I'm the person that usually helps him learn his lines. And I was like, No one's got it. I was like, He doesn't know his lines because no one's helped him learn his lines. Um, but he, the good thing about Roman is he's very bright. He's very emotionally bright. He's very connected to the darker side of things. Um, and he gets it and he's thorough. But I think the thing is, I was, I was tough on him at times. I mean, like, you can do it better. Come on, let's do it again. But he, he, it was, I did feel on set that it was like working with an actor who I just knew well. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was forcing him into something or, or he was forcing his way through something. It felt, and the good thing about being uh, on set with that many people and that kind of crew and that many actors is that he then belonged to the film. Yes. And I, I love that about filming, that suddenly my kids belong to an environment. They belong to other people, another, and he belonged, he had another mother, he had Kieran. And I think there's something quite beautiful about seeing him independently of me, uh, having that experience, you know, and they were very close. You know, she was incredibly kind to the kids. That is amazing. Now, when you started writing this, did you already, was AMC already in the picture or RJLE Films? Or did you start writing this? Uh, you had no distributor, nothing. You, you put the, the story together, you pitched it, and that's how everything fell in place? 
I mean, I literally was going to make it. Like I said, I was going to try and find like $100,000 and make it for two weeks. I had friends who are actors because I'd been working in the industry, like I said. And and because uh, this was my last attempt to make a movie. And um, I said to my husband, Ben, do you think I should ask Matthew Vaughan for advice? And he said, mm, I don't know. I don't think it's Matthew's kind of movie. I was like, no, but he's really clever. I should ask for his advice. But he was busy, Matthew. Anyway, I did. I reached out to Matthew because I, when I was a camera assistant, I'd worked on Layer Cake. And, and he'd been close to my husband over the years, but we hadn't, hadn't seen him. Anyway, so anyway, long, cut a long story short. Matthew read it and called me and said, let's make your film. And I was like, I was literally, it was like someone saying you'd won the lottery. For me, that's what it was. And I called my husband. I was like, Matthew, do you think he means it? He was like, yeah, I think he means it. And it was life-changing. So that was the first thing. So when Matthew does things, I think he likes to do things in his own way. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have a distributor because he brought some private finance. He brought some of his own finance. He brought some of Trudy's finance. So there was different. So it wasn't attached to a studio. And then obviously we filmed it and then the pandemic kicked in and then we, we started showing in studios early cuts. And then we kind of finished it last Christmas. And we showed the studios, um, the major studios, and they were like, wow, yeah, that's amazing, but there's no fucking way we're touching that. Excuse my language. Like, no way are we touching that movie right now. And I get it. They were right. Um, so we sat on it for a bit, and thank God for AMC and RLG because they loved it. And what was good, because the big studios, if I'm honest, I'm not saying they're not big, they are a big studios, but, the, you know, the more mm. obvious studios, they really admired the filmmaking. They really admired the cast. They really admired the performances. They like they loved the film, but they were terrified of it. Well, yeah, distributors look at things from a completely different lens. Yeah, you and know? then but ANC and RLG, uh, uh, RLG, um, I was waiting for them to say that. I'm like, are you not fighting about that? No, we're fine. What about? No, no, no. They just loved it, and I was like, wow, we have found the right home. Th- I mean, thank God to them because I don't know if this film would ever come out otherwise. And uh, that's a great story. Now, the, the film takes place in, on Christmas. Uh, yeah. It could have been, it didn't have to. I mean, no. Christmas was not essential to the plot line. Uh, right. Was that your writing right from the beginning? You wanted it to be a Christmas story in a way? Yeah, I knew it had to be the New Year. I mean, I sat down, as you do, and you say to yourself, well, what's a really important time of year? And it's either New Year, because mm-hmm. it's the New Year, or it's Christmas. And I was juggling between the two. And I thought, well, what's good about Christmas is that I think as I've got older, I've got better about this. But for a long time, I used to feel like I missed people. I felt bad. I haven't seen this person for so many years. And do we all need to go out on the streets and, 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 and save everyone? And like Christmas is a time of year where you, you reassess things and you start to question yourself and you, you try and be your better, better self, right? Mm-hmm. I knew that that would then lend well to the story, that if we're meeting people, uh, and it's a time when obviously people come together and it's emotional and it's uh, and it has a lovely ambiance to it and it's sentimental and it's supposed to be jolly. But we all know that Christmas is hell for some people. Actually, I was just telling my wife, it seems <laughs> like every December there's like an air of stress you can feel with everybody. Everybody's just stressed out around the holidays. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I think, with silent night it's like the perfect commentary of not only are people stressed because even if it was a normal christmas now you have this added stress of what they're facing in the film and i thought it blended in perfectly oh good i'm so pleased yeah because i i I do know that there's that magical time isn't it after boxing day i don't know what you call it in america is it boxing day 
Uh, that, you know, 7th until 28th. Yeah, no, we don't. I'm looking at my calendar here. It's not something we uh, celebrate here in the U.S. We celebrate it, but that's the time when no one goes to work. The shops mm -hmm. are shut, right? Holiday, Christmas is over, but you get to actually just chill because most of the family have gone and you're like, oh, wow, like the streets are empty. You can go for walks. And the, do you know what I mean? And that's the time that I love about the holidays is the time when... So um, I think there's something very powerful about the Christmas spirit or the holiday spirit or... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it and it tied into the genre, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I, I don't know if I would call Silent Night a horror movie. I don't think it's a horror. It's more of a drama thriller is more accurate with it. There's a lot of commentary in this film, and you touched on it on some of the points you mentioned earlier, sort of the elite upper class uh, getting the... I don't know what the right words, the treatment that the upper class people will get to not suffer, as opposed to people who don't have resources, money, are left out to fend for themselves. Was the, was the social commentary, uh, along with other social commentary in the film, very important for you to tell? It was very important because I don't know, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but like last year or the year before, no, it was the year before, uh, our government took us out of Europe, you know? Yes. Uh, there was Brexit, and, Brexit. and yeah. you know, it's supposed to be inspired as exit because it's supposed to people are supposed to realize it's Brexit, but basically, um, which was a kind of metaphor for that. But I'm I, I'm my mother's French, you know, I have a French passport, so I feel as much French culturally in a way. I mean, I'm an English, but I feel a, a, akin to my European side. So I was very upset about that for that reason, but mostly I was upset because the reason why one of the reasons why uh, England left. Europe is so they could get rid of the refugee problem. They don't want any refugees here. Yes, and that's and because I'm in Europe, I see uh, I see the the news about these these people have survived war in Syria, and they they if they don't drown in the sea and they get to a camp, they're treated like animals, and it breaks my heart. It really breaks. I mean, I genuinely, when it's cold outside, that's all who I think about. I think, my God, how they they've got children sleeping in tents. So. It really hurts me that our government was such bastards, really. Yeah. And it's not just the UK government. It's, it's, it's... Yeah, you've done it. Your government's done atrocious things as well, right? Exactly. Atrocious. So, but I also know that I'm sitting in a nice house and I've got a nice life and I've got three nice kids and, and I'm not out there as an activist, uh, you know, feeding the, the poor, you know, in the, in the camps working. So there's also that element of, well, what does that say about me? You know, it's easy, it's easy to have these belief systems or these politics, but does, am I doing anything about it? Exactly. So I thought, well, at least if I make a film where the conversation's there, at least people can have the conversation. And, and maybe that's the least that I can do is like, let's have this conversation. Like, but unfortunately, like we were talking about earlier, the conversation's been dragged into another direction, which actually I think is very naughty of some people because... Actually, this film, if people allowed it to have its its message, is actually quite a powerful message, which is like, let's let the privilege take care of someone else for once, you know? Now, the second character next to Art, who really has a conscience and is sort of disregarded by everybody else, is Sophie, played yeah. by Lily Rose uh, Depp, who's Johnny yeah. Depp's daughter. Yeah, uh, she's amazing. She was amazing. Her character was amazing. She also had a dilemma. You know, her character had a dilemma in the film and what she was dealing with and the circumstances around her. How did you go about shaping that character? 
Well, that's a little bit, that carries a bit of heartbreak for me because in my script that we shot, she doesn't take the pill. Okay. But that was changed in the edit. Uh, my producers felt that her story should be, her ending should be different. So, so not putting it on them, but this was painful for me because I think every character kind of represents a part of me in a sense, you know, the, the boy is the naughty child that I was who wouldn't shut up and was always being told off. And, and Lily Rose's characters, what I was like at 20, I was annoying. I was the person at the dinner party going, well, what about this? And what about that? And they're like, shut up. We want to have fun. You know, so I'm still that person in a way. But she um, she doesn't want to do harm to something that's not her. Exactly, right? yeah. And it's not about, it's not like it's not like a pro-life, pro-choice, I'm clearly pro-choice. That's not supposed to be the debate there. She doesn't, she wants, if something bad happens to her, she can live through that, but she doesn't want to do bad. She doesn't want to hurt her baby. She just doesn't, that's what she's saying. She wanted the baby. She doesn't want to hurt the baby, right? Mm -hmm. So poison hurts them both. That's that's one thing, but she doesn't want to do the harm. She doesn't want to be the person doing the harm. Was it always your intention for the big, uh, I guess, apocalyptic thing to be the poison? Or did you play with, play with uh, some other ideas as well? Originally, it was a virus. Okay. but that's, So you thought that was maybe too cliche, too overdone, and you want to do something unique? When I wrote the draft, it was a virus, and I said it to her. I had an agent in those days. We didn't stay together. And he was like, ah, it's ridiculous. How would anyone die of a virus that many people? Yeah. Uh, ironic. And I said, yeah, okay. So I chatted to my kids about it in the car on the way home from school one day, and one of them was like, maybe it's the planet. Maybe it's this. And one of my little boys, Hardy, said, oh, I think it's the planet. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And it made total sense because obviously this younger generation are fighting for environmental rights and, yeah. and planet. So, so I can't take credit for that. I mean, I can take credit for how it was delivered in the story, but that was uh, one of my kids' ideas. I, uh, I, I love the exchange between Kitty and Art, I believe. Kitty saying, it's the Russians that are doing this. And Art, like, shut up. It's not the Russians. It's the planet. We've been mistreating the planet, and the planet is unleashing its, you know, revenge on us right now. That exchange between Kitty, who was a very funny character, by the way. Uh, you know, characters like Kitty and Sandra, they added uh, the humor that was needed, along with Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley was trying to be the host, trying to keep everybody happy, trying to not think about what's going on in the outside world, but make it feel like a regular old Christmas sleepover party. And yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Brilliantly done. Um, Camille. Also, oh. is it, sorry, I was just going to say one more thing. Have I got a few more minutes? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. It's funny because when you talk about the scene about the, the planet, it's like, you know, when we think about all the rubbish that's been tipped somewhere, and it has got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously... So I love the idea. So you were just talking about the idea that it's spitting it back out. I think that is a kind of uh, much clever analogy than I had uh, come up with in the first place. Now, with Kitty's character, the, the yeah. girl, besides adding the comedic element, what other function do you think she served for the storyline? Well, I'm, talk I'm saying that the, the children are kind of the victims in a way because they can't choose for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that I also, I mean, I wanted to talk about lots of things and maybe I've talked about too many things in the film, but I also wanted to talk about parenting and how easy it is as a parent 
to think that the child belongs to you, right? And you get the kids get to a certain age and they have to individuate from us. They have to go, shut up, mom, shut up, dad, I'm not listening, or shut up whoever your parent is, whether it's your grandparents or, you know, yep. whoever your caregiver is, right? And I like that this woman, Sandra, is so damaged that she can't connect to her child, which is brutally painful. And I like the idea that there'd be one kid, that all the kids were kind of different, but there'd be one kid who just was like, whatever, whatever. You know, I just want my sweets and I want my doll and I don't care, you know? Um, Soft toffee pudding. Yeah, sticky toffee pudding. Sticky toffee pudding. <laughs> <laughs> so she wasn't just there to, to, to be funny. I mean, I think she's funny, but I also like the idea that people are mean about some people's kids. I mean, I don't know if you have kids, but sometimes we're like... Oh, yeah, I've got three of them. You just said you had three teenage, teenagers. yeah. yeah. You're like, let's get so-and-so over. Oh, but their kids are a nightmare. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. generally don't admit sometimes, you know, you love somebody, but their kid's a nightmare. And you love them as a person, but then you see them as a parent. You're like, how can that great person be such an annoying parent? They don't tell their kids off. They let their kids trash your house. Do you know what I mean? So totally. I thought that was just a nice part of the family friendship dynamic as well. That was awesome. And the relationship that the whole group had with each other uh brilliant obviously these are people that go way back into their college days have remained friends throughout the years as the movie progresses and we start to peel back the layers of who they really are uh they're just scared as they should be you know they're facing their doom and they're terrified they are absolutely terrified and you did it brilliantly camille i really i cannot encourage our viewers to watch this any more than i have it's called Silent Night. It's available. Is it exclusively just on AMC Plus for right now? I think it's on AMC Plus, and then it goes... I think it's on their exclusive window for a period of time. Not long, and then it goes to AMC. Okay. But I, I think there's a ways of um, downloading it. Yeah, uh, yeah, AMC Plus is very popular here in the U.S. I don't know how popular it is in the U.K., but guys... iTunes will have it, I think. I think, there's, I think it's going to go on lots of different platforms. And I think it might even still be in the cinemas, but I know it's going to the public platforms pretty soon. Absolutely. It was released December 3rd. I mean, just barely uh, a, a week ago, not even. So, guys, check it out. It's called Silent Night. It's not a bloody, gory horror movie. It's a, it's a movie with a lot of twists and turns. You're going to thoroughly enjoy it. I highly recommend it. Camille here wrote it, directed it. Congratulations on this being your first feature film. You did a brilliant job. Uh, I look forward to seeing a lot more of your work in the future. Thank uh, you, sir. And I'm glad you got the break. I'm glad you finally got the break you deserved and you got to write and direct this film. I couldn't be more happier for you. That's and, incredibly kind. Thank you. And Thank I you. loved it. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts you want to share before we go? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, like I said, I can talk for hours, but no, I think they probably want to go and well, watch the movie now, right? So that, so I should shut up. <laughs> yes, go watch the movie. If you're looking, like I said, for a great Christmas movie, check out Silent Night on AMC+. I want to thank Camille, thank all our audience who tuned in live, and those who will be watching this later on. Until next time, on behalf of Camille and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Bye, everybody. Take care.